It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a magic marker. A, a felt pen. It's a mistake. It's a trap. It's a fucking comedy. It's quiet. Maybe too quiet. It's all happening. It's a good day to die. It's a good day to talk about movies. Welcome back. It is a good day to talk about The Batman. I am your host, Duncan. Joining me, as always, are Gardner. Hey, welcome back, folks. And Taran. The Batman. Today we are discussing the new DC film, The Batman, which is in theaters now if you're listening to this in March of 2022. Quick reminder, on this podcast we talk about movies we love and interview independent filmmakers. Every Friday we release a full episode, usually with a guest. And we're doing bonus episodes on Wednesdays. This is the bonus episode this week, where we will be discussing The Batman, as I mentioned. Last Wednesday, we dropped a bonus mini-sode on Peacemaker Season 1. So if you missed that, check it out. And last Friday, we had a full-length episode on No Sudden Move, which was Gardner's favorite film of 2021. This Friday, we are releasing an episode on The Green Knight, which was my favorite film of 2021. So stay tuned for that. Before we go any further, we need to do a quick spoiler warning. This episode will contain major spoilers for The Batman. If you have not seen The Batman and don't want it spoiled, stop listening now and get back to us later. For everyone else, that was your spoiler warning for The Batman. He's Bruce Wayne. Glad we can say that now. Now that all the unspoiled people are gone. Gotta be quick on that pause button. So The Batman was released in March of 2022. It stars Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. It was directed by Matt Reeves, who is known for the television show Felicity, which he co-created with J.J. Abrams, along with the movies Cloverfield, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and War for the Planet of the Apes, all of which he directed. I do have to say I'm a fan of his work. The movie was written by Reeves and Peter Craig. The music is done by Michael Giacchino, who did the music for Rogue One, as well as Lost, among other things. It was edited by William Hoy and Tyler Nelson, and the cinematography was done by Greg Frazier. It stars Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle slash Catwoman, Paul Dano as the Riddler, Jeffrey Wright as Jim Gordon, John Torturo as Carmen Falcone, Colin Farrell as Oswaldo Cobblepot slash The Penguin, Andy Serkis as Alfred Pennyworth, and Peter Skarsgård as Gil Coulson, the DA. And also, Jamie Lawson played the new mayor of Gotham. So far, the Batman seems to be well-received by fans and critics alike, but let's hear what we on GDT have to say. It is time for our initial thoughts. Gardner, do you want to kick us off? What are your broad thoughts on the Batman? More than happy to kick us off. I really, really liked this movie. I'm... In, I'm totally sold on like a darker, longer take on Batman that we haven't really gotten since the Dark Knight trilogy concluded. We got it a little bit in the Zack Snyder movies, but I'm just not that big a fan of those movies in general. I think they're like, okay, but this really scratched the itch that I had for a darker, more serious superhero flick. And I thought this just absolutely nailed it i'm debating myself currently if this is if whether this or the dark knight are better i think they're both fantastic films and this just it brought back that feeling that i haven't had since i saw the dark knight for the first time casting was amazing i loved 
Robert Pattinson's portrayal of Bruce Wayne and the Batman as kind of like uh, almost Rorschachy, you know, like if this guy existed in real life, he'd be a complete freak. And that's kind of how I read uh, this Bruce Wayne. He's a real weirdo uh, and he's a novice at it. I like that this is only his second year of doing it. So we see that he has, still has a lot to learn. Uh, yeah, this just this movie just hit every category for me. I'm super in on it. I am really like, I want to go back to the theaters and watch it again because this is a movie that you got to see in the theater for sure. So yeah, big fan. Nice. Tarn, what did you think? Um, I hate that I'm going to do this, but I'm also kind of excited for it. I want to, uh, y'all got a little tall order on you because my broad sweeping thoughts on this movie was too long, too dark, too loud, and too lame. I truthfully was not a huge fan of this movie. It brought back feelings that I haven't had from a movie in a long time, but not the good kind. I don't know what it, I mean, I actually do know there's a lot of things that I could point to. And we'll get into it because I kind of want to hear, I mean, we can do a little back and forth, but it fell flat for me. And I think the biggest thing, and maybe this is just Batman movies, you couldn't see what was happening. Save for the final action sequence, you don't know, like you can't see. And it, dro it drove me nuts. And there's a lot of like, I don't, this movie was a huge mess for me. And I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say. I guess I wasn't really expecting that, but I could see me and Gardner liking it more. I'll get into what I thought about it. I definitely love this movie. It's great when you're excited for a film and then it comes out and it really fucks you up in a good way. And that's how I felt about this film. I love Robert Pattinson and I'm going to make a connection to one of his past films because I was super excited for Tenet and another connection with Christopher Nolan. We're talking about, we're going to be bringing up The Dark Knight throughout this, I'm sure, and that trilogy in general. But that film was my most anticipated film of 2020 and I saw it and was blown away by it. And that's how I felt about this film. It's one of my most anticipated films of the year. It was, I've been thinking about it for a while now. As soon as they announced that Pattinson was going to be Batman, I was super excited. I love his work. I haven't seen Twilight, so I can't even say that, oh, he's great outside of Twilight because I don't even know. But that seems to be somewhat of a consensus there amongst people that he wasn't given a lot to do as well as Stuart. I love Stuart as well. I really hope that she wins the Oscar this year. I think I've mentioned that on a previous episode. If you missed our Oscar nominations recap episode, go check that out. But like I said, I really was blown away by it. I do think you can see what you need to see in the movie. It's a dark movie for sure, but not dark in the way that that episode of Game of Thrones was where you really couldn't see things that you were supposed to see. In my opinion, I think this film utilized the dark in actually ways that I appreciated. And overall, it scratched the itch that I was looking for. We're going to get into the specifics of it, but Gardner, you brought up the cast. I think everyone's great in it. I honestly felt like it was very much pulling from the comics that I've read, at least, in ways where it was giving you a version of Batman that we've seen in the comics before. And it is this grittier version. And I do think we've gotten, I mean, dude, we didn't really get any, we didn't get any solo movies of Batman with Ben Affleck. So it's like when you say, oh, this is, we're back to gritty and dark, just like the Dark Knight was. It's like, that was really the most recent one, in my opinion. Like Ben, ben Affleck doesn't even really count. And certainly I'm not counting the Lego Batman movie, although that did come out in between them. But for me, I don't see it necessarily as a getting back to it because I don't feel like we ever really left because for me, Batman is growing up for me. It was the Nolan trilogy and it was Bale. And I feel like now it's Pattinson and it kind of skipped over 
no offense to Affleck, I don't think he was given movies to do anything in, but he skipped over that, and I really don't like his suit. And for me, Batman is a lot about the suit, and holy shit, is Pattinson's suit fucking dope. I will say, Tarn, I agree with you that some of the lameness, I can actually, I'll agree with you on those points, and I want to disagree with one of the points of Gardner, where you were saying that he was good as both. I think he's probably one of the worst Bruce Waynes in this film. And he's not the Bruce Wayne that I want to see, at least. I like the Bruce Wayne, and it's fine, because there's different portrayals of him, but for me, at least, I'm not, when I, I shouldn't have said worse. I should say my least favorite Bruce Wayne's, because I like the Bruce Wayne who, we've seen it in past ones, where he's like kind of a goof in public, like the Nolan one, for example, and this, I've, I'm not the first person to say this, so don't, I'm not acting like this is an original thought on my, my part, but he's like, he doesn't care about what people think about him. He's falling asleep in board meetings. He's you know acting drunk in public and stuff and acting like he doesn't know anything i like that bruce wayne who's kind of the playboy bruce wayne more so than the yeah he maybe would be in a realistic world like this dark guy but i like having the contrast of a crazy out there party animal bruce wayne when you know that's so not what he is and he's so actually like he's always pushing against these social relationships and going to events and stuff like that. He doesn't want to do any of that stuff in a lot of the media, Batman media that I've seen at least. So that's the one part where I actually agree with Tarn and I don't really love that aspect of it. I don't love his hair either. I don't think his hair should be like that. See, see, for me, the reason why that works and why I really like it is for one, it's a huge element to the plot. The fact that he is completely disinterested in all of this public relations kind of stuff and the Wayne Enterprises kind of stuff. That's the reason why the renewal fund is able to be abused and corrupted is because he doesn't pay attention to it. So if he was, you know, more active in Wayne Enterprises, then I feel like some of the plot wouldn't have happened. And I just like this take. I, I, it just works for me. The fact that he's got the long hair and he's my favorite uh, visual is that like in the other Batman movies, when he takes the cowl off, like the makeup like disappears from around his eyes. And in this movie, he's still got it on. And it gives him this gothic look that's very uh, realistic for me. If Bruce Wayne were to like immediately come out of being Batman uh, and like walking around, like he's, st he's still Batman, you know, he's still kind of a psycho for what it is that he's doing. And I think they really drive that home with the aesthetic that it's it's very gothic and dark and weird. And for that reason of like keeping with the themes and the story elements of just how dark this movie is overall, especially for a PG-13, I kind of wish they had gone R and just like gone like balls to the wall, but studios don't like to take risks. For me, that really works. Right. And those I'm fine with that part of it. Like, don't get me wrong. I think that's cool. And that realism I'm down with. I just wish like, I mean, you don't he doesn't like need to have the emo-ish hair and I, I don't I, I don't even want to say emo because I know there's been headlines about that and stuff like that and I don't think he's necessarily like that like I'm fine with him feeling the way he actually feels like I'm fine with his his Bruce Wayne being like that actually I would like and again it's not like a knock on the film it's just what I prefer and I like about for example the Nolan trilogy is I would like a persona that he's putting on for the public that's kind of goofier and like again like the falling asleep in board meetings I fucking love and I don't know why, but it's just something that I, I, that was something, and that's my Batman growing up. So that was my introduction to Batman other than the animated series. So that was like what Bruce Wayne was to me. And I think in the animated series too, he's kind of a little bit of a womanizer as well. It's been forever since I've watched that, but Gardner, you're nodding along. So it's, I, I'm going to say that, yes, he was a womanizer in the animated series as well. And 
So that that kind of Bruce Wayne, I guess, is what I'm looking for. But again, not a knock on the film. It's not necessarily going to lose points there. But when I'm giving my feeling, my overall feeling of the film at the end of the podcast, it'll definitely it would have gotten probably more points if I had enjoyed the Bruce Wayne aspects more. Which, like you said, maybe it doesn't work in this film. I think you can still be neglectful of the renewal fund and still have a little bit of a different persona on the outside. And again, that's just like what I was, I prefer and what you, you prefer this one. So not a knock on it in any way, just kind of a thought where I'm more on Tarn's side in that aspect. It's super bold. Like I enjoy the idea that he's a tortured soul, but he has completely not dealt with his childhood trauma and it's been festering for like, however long, like 20 years. And it's, it's tough to see your superhero. Like he can't cope at all. You know, he can't handle himself in public. He, his house is a fucking mess. His Gothic castle is in worse condition than the ones built in the 1500s. Like it's, he's got bats flying all over the place, shitting everywhere. He is down bad and has been. And it's just weird. Like it's lame. I find it kind of lame. You could be tore up, but like you got to put on some sort of face. I'm so sick of the like eternally stoic, uh, eternally equipping superhero. You know what I mean? And we get this Bruce Wayne who's broken and he doesn't go to therapy and he hasn't addressed his traumas. And he his only outlet is to go out in a costume and beat the shit out of people. And we see the consequences of that and what that lifestyle like looks like in this movie. And that just fucking works for me, man. This is the only Batman we've ever seen. Like, maybe not the only, but one I can think of in recent memory that like sits down and looks through like a big pile of like dusty books to like look for clues and shit like that. And you can't, you don't have time to do that if you're out, you know, partying, womanizing or whatever. Like he's fully committed to like the detective bit and like the justice bit. And it's so essential for his arc. This is a young Batman. He might become that Batman later. You know, he might become that Bruce Wayne later where he's more focused on public image after he's matured and he's realized he's got to maintain this double life a little bit better. You're seeing him struggle with the idea of living this double life and the secret identity. I don't know, man. It's just, this is, this is maybe, I mean, clearly I'm alone in this, but this is the Bruce Wayne that I wanted to see. We've seen over and over again, the playboy billionaire philanthropist, you know, Tony Stark-esque kind of Batman. And to get the weird, creepy, emo Batman or uh, Bruce Wayne is like, um, uh, to me, it's a breath of fresh air and an otherwise really like dark and oppressive film. And I'm fine with that. But I guess my areas of wanting to push back a little bit is that when you're saying like, oh, like he wouldn't have time for that or like, it's essential to the plot maybe is where I think that he could be this like, cause in the Nolan trilogy, a big, or not a big, but a point that they make is that he has, he's getting no sleep. And because like, so he could be, you know, that could be the element that you bring in instead of, he could still be looking through the dusty old books. And I do love that. I love how we'll get into it, how much of a detective he is in this film. This is a detective film. And that's the Batman. I like Tarn, you brought up before we started recording the long Halloween. And we'll kind of touch on how that's definitely mentioned. There's other comic book elements that I've, the ones that I'm aware of, I'm sure there's many more that I saw in there. I want to bring one up later too. It made me feel like they're aware of the comic book universe and that maybe have read some of them at least and are trying to pull from that. But my point, I guess, is that I think it's fine to make the creative choice 
to have your bat your Bruce Wayne like this, but I do think you could have the same dark film and not have him go lean in as far into the depressive state. And you can even show him being depressed and stuff, but I am itching for a little more, like you said, the Playboy Bruce Wayne on the outside. Or it doesn't even have to be Playboy Bruce Wayne because I think they kind of substituted Bruce Wayne being joked about in public for Batman being joked around in public in this film, where a lot of the cops are like making fun of Batman and stuff like that, like calling him a freak and stuff like that. And he's kind of the butt of some jokes in the police scenes but I, I like that actually but i think you could still do some of the playboy aspects and still have your film be pretty much the same thematically and still get this dark story out there you know what i mean like i do think it's possible to add a little bit in, and it's just not where they went is kind of what my view on it and that's fine it's just not it's it's not the portrayal they want and i do like your point of it being a fresh take on it because we have seen it so often i guess it's just for me because I've seen it so often, maybe that's my Bruce Wayne and that's the Bruce Wayne that I'm, I'm familiar with and that I like seeing. And for me, that's an aspect that I want to stay the same. And it's not like, again, I'm not pushing back on it to the point where like, you can't change my superheroes because it's their creative choice and they absolutely can. I'm just more interested and it's just more comfortable for me, I guess, when it's that. And I really, I just get a kick out of it. I really do. That's why. It's not like that I have such so much of a problem with the way it's portrayed in this film. It's more of a it gets my juices going when I see the other version of Bruce Wayne. The only thing that legitimizes him as a superhero or whatever the fuck vigilante he is, is the fact that Gordon's like simping for him hardcore. I don't, he's punching cops. He's not good at being a detective. He's wrong all the time. If he doesn't have Gordon, I, it makes no sense to me. The, the, the team up of Gordon and Batman is iconic in Batman. You know, this movie for me, it gave me things that like are essential and iconic to like the Batman lore. But what I liked about it also is clearly something that rubbed y'all the wrong way is that it it tried, and not, I don't want to say like it tried new things, but it offered a new characterization of Bruce Wayne in particular. Like we've never seen like a depressed ass superhero before, you know, and that's something that who knows, maybe this movie won't age that well and I won't, you know, feel that way in a couple of years. But for me, that's absolutely working. And the fact that he's a good detective, I think. I think he was a damn good d- detective in this movie. Uh, he answered all the riddles, you know, he he followed the plot line uh, pretty well of what the Riddler was trying to do. And I like that he has like a partner in Gordon. I wish Alfred had had a bigger role in the movie, for sure. That's probably my biggest complaint. Andy Serkis, very underutilized. You got the first clue. He's the one that solved the first riddle. No, he's not. The first riddle. He solved the cipher. He solved the cipher. He was trying to solve the cipher, and then Bruce Wayne was like, what if we actually have everything we need and we don't need to solve the cipher? It was Bruce that solved it. Thank you. Bruce also totally whiffs on the rat with wings twice. Everybody did, though intentionally misleading too yeah and i think because you just touched on it gardner that one of the best parts of this film is the mystery and the riddles because i've talked about before i want believable things and for me it's hard when you have art or you have a detective is a good example or a villain who's supposed to be this cerebral guy or they're supposed to be this really good artist it's like well then the art has to be good they have to be making really good music or they have to be making really good paintings 
or they have to be really a really good stand-up comedian. Like I haven't seen Marvelous Miss Maisel, but I know they show some stand-up in that. And so in order for that to hit, and people have said it does hit, I'm not sure, but in order for that to hit, you would need the stand-up to be good stand-up. And that's the same in this, where you need these riddles to be good riddles. And I, from the beginning, he lies still. I, they got me going. That And that's Batman, again, solving that one too, from the jump. And I do think he's a good detective in this. And I do think they did a really good job of making the Riddler good at being the Riddler. Riddler is fantastic. Yeah, we need to talk about the Riddler. The Riddler is sick, but of course the riddles are difficult when we don't know what the fuck is going on. We don't know who these characters are until they're dead. It's not necessarily true. And when he kills the mayor right before that, he's watching the TV coverage and you literally see him on TV and then you see him in the room. You're like, oh, that's the mayor. He's already got like he you don't know. How are you supposed to solve the riddle when like the information to solve the riddle isn't available yet? I mean, he lies still. It's just a riddle. It's not based on the people there. It's just what does a liar do when he's dead? He lies still. That's just a good riddle. That, that's like a fun play on words. But like when it's like, oh, who's going to be the next person to get got? It's like, I don't even know who these fucking people are. But that's that's very typical of noir. It's that you're you're following like these characters get introduced and you learn about them. Noir is very dependent on exposition. That's just a fact of the genre. And all the time in the world to do it. Doesn't bother me. I'm like, this is a noir film. You get that in the first 10 minutes. You know what you're in for. And actually, I think this one's like fairly easy to follow the mystery as it goes on. It's well crafted, but it's not like you need a immediate rewatch to understand all the different players and stuff. It's not like um, like we were talking about with no sudden move, you know, how you a lot of the little details get lost and you're confused. I was never confused in this movie. I was able to follow the mystery pretty Point by point. Oh, no, I followed it fine. But it, when it's like, you know, Batman's this guy solving these riddles and it's like you have like an intricate understanding of these. I'm not saying this well because I. it's not that I was confused as to what was happening. It just felt like how, of course, Batman's going to solve this riddle. Like, how do you not solve that? It's super easy. You knew the answer to it? Answer to what? Like you knew the answer to the, rid the riddles. The bat what the Batman when he's like, oh, the orphanage, like, yeah, he's coming for you, dude. Oh, the orphanage one, yeah. I'm talking about like the he lies still. I thought you were saying that was a super easy riddle. Like, I don't think that's I mean, I think that's just a good play on words. I don't I don't I had never heard it before, so I wasn't gonna figure that one out. Oh no, that was a fun play on words. I just love that that opening one for sure. And I thought that his like they had twists and turns that had you going in it, which is what's important, I think, in a mystery. And I see where you're coming from, Tarn, where you're like maybe uninvested in them because you're like, okay, sure, they just killed this guy, but I don't know that much about him. I guess they do rely a little bit on Batman lore, I think, and you being comfortable with certain characters. Like they kind of expect you to know who the Penguin is, I feel like, and just kind of throw him in there. And it's like, all right, you're going to know this guy. We don't need to do anything on him. He's just a bad guy. And if you don't, then you figure it out. He's just a bad Batman villain. And I think... For me, at least, maybe because I care about Gotham, I care about Gordon for sure. And for me, like the Gordon-Batman relationship is maybe the best thing in the entire film. They're, it's a little bit of a bromance, in my opinion, where Gordon's like sticking his neck out for him and stuff, which is the classic Gordon and Batman relationship. But I fucking love it. And, you know, Jeffrey Wright's a great Gordon, in my opinion. I think he did a great job. What's important is that you have a nice mustache, so 
Yeah, Batman likes that mustache downstairs, dude. Big time simp. I loved the Batman Gordon relationship. Like you said, like that's very like quintessential to just Batman. You know, the aesthetic of Batman, the lore of Batman. And I thought it was super well handled. I love that Jeffrey Wright is kind of having like a renaissance and he's popping up in more stuff nowadays. I pro- like probably a lot of people was really introduced to him through Westworld and he was fucking fantastic in that. And then just to see him get this role, I thought he was an incredible Gordon, definitely better than J.K. Simmons Gordon. But we don't we don't need to rag on the Snyderverse too much. We got this movie to rag on. I know y'all like this one. This is going to be a contentious episode for sure. We've already touched on some of the points where I think we can see where Tarn's not loving it. And I, I mean, at least I can understand where he's coming from. I don't necessarily agree with it because I don't feel that way about it. And I not necessarily am reading it differently, but I'm feeling differently about what's being presented to us. Because I think, I mean, you're not reading it wrong or anything. I don't think, or and not necessarily wrong because there's not necessarily a right way to read a movie. But it's not like we're even seeing different things, I don't think. I think we're seeing the same thing and seeing it in the same way in the film but then it's rubbing off on us in different ways and that's even with the little differences between my enjoyment and Gardner's enjoyment I think it's the same thing where we're kind of in in agreement on how it's portrayed and what it is but then it's like what do we Gardner you always say it like it's what you bring to the film and it's what are we bringing to it and how it's then mixing with us and coming to you know our feelings on it which are a lot more negative for you and not exactly what I was expecting but I think it'll make for a good conversation I mean, Tarn called me before this movie and he was like this stupid Batman movie. Like, you don't like Batman as a character. So I'm not all that surprised that you weren't, you know, into this movie. To be frank with the listeners, Batman is a lame superhero. If you don't know, you do now. But The Dark Knight is one of my favorite movies. Like, I don't dislike him. I just think in terms of superheroes, he's not very compelling. I was very excited for this movie. And I was let down utterly. It was just, I was looking forward to it to being sick. I had heard online that it was better than The Dark Knight. And I had really high expectations, which maybe that was something. But they were also initially quelled by the fact that I don't like Batman very much. And it's different for me because growing up, I was Batman and Spider-Man. Very generic. Those are literally the two most popular superheroes. But those were the guys that I knew about because those were the movies that were coming out at the time. And then also I was just like you, Tarin, a big Wolverine guy. And that was a little bit, my dad was a Wolverine guy when I was growing up, I think. So that rubbed off on me. But those were kind of the three that I knew and cared about. And I wasn't a comic reader. I was a movie watcher. So I was introduced then to the MCU and then became into, you know, like Iron Man because of that. Because I was the perfect age for that when it came out. And because Spider-Man and Batman were my guys growing up and like the Nolan trilogy. I mean, dude, anyone around our age getting to watch that, I think, when you're in your formative movie watching years and formative superhero years, I guess maybe a little bit past that because we were a little bit older, I think, when the Nolan trilogy was really hitting. But I mean, the, it started in 2005. We were, I mean, I was under, I was nine years old when the first one came out and I saw it in theaters and was like, oh, fuck yeah. I probably didn't say that because I was nine, but I was blown away by it and became then just like obsessed with Batman movies, at least going forward, because I was like, okay, this is a fucking movie. I was blown away by, by it. And then I had also seen Memento, I think, at that point, because that was one of the first movies that my dad kind of showed me. I've talked about it in the past that Memento and Pulp Fiction were two movies that kind of blew me away and to, like showed me what you could do with a movie. It doesn't have to be... You can make a great movie that's very generically told, but it doesn't have to be like that. And that kind of blew me away. So I was a Nolan fan to begin with. I don't know, I don't know if I actually knew that it was Nolan when I was watching the Batman movie the first time. But all this to say, 
those formative years, I'm getting Batman and good Batman. And uh, this actually speaks to why I like that version of Batman too, Gardner, because it's that formative time. And it's such a big part of not only superhero like media in general, but just the public, because those movies were so mainstream and people, you know, winning Oscars. And obviously the tragedy of Heath Ledger had a big part of that, but the portrayals of the characters and the way it was directed was definitely a big part of why they became so popular. And I think that portrayal of Bruce Wayne slash Batman is going to have a big impact on a lot of people around my age. And I mean, we're all within two years of each other, three years of each other and around our age group. I think, you know, just like people in the past were like, well, Michael Keaton's my Batman. So now when I see Christian Bale do it, it's, you know, there's that scene in Neighbors where there's like, I'm Batman, I'm Batman, I'm Batman. They're, they're doing the different Batman voices because they each have a different Batman growing up. It's great. And it's, I think it's awesome that each generation and kind of even even more than just each generation, each couple of years gets their own version of Batman. I mean, there's going to be people in a couple of years who their Batman is Pattinson and their Batman maybe was Affleck too. And that's very cool, I think. So again, all that to say that I think that where you are with the character and how much he's like, I don't know, I'm not going to say he's like a big part of my life. He hasn't had like a big impact on my life, but on my media consumption, he has. And he's been a character that I'm interested in. Like when I want to read comic books, I want to read Batman or I want to read something that I know is like a big comic book series. You know what I mean? I try to hit the ones that are like these well-known ones, but then I like really what I want to read is Batman. I'm into the detective shit and I'm into him as a character. Although I can kind of come see where you're coming from, where he's got lame, I guess, abilities because he's just rich. But it's not about that. They let him borrow a healing factor twice in this movie when he just totally eats an explosion to the face, five o'clock shadow intact. And then when he just botches his wingsuit and tumbles on the ground to get up, you know, without a scratch, which it's a movie and I know, but he's just a guy like he also took a sniper to the chest from about five feet away, it seemed like. Which I don't care what you got on. You have to care at that point because he's a billionaire. Like he has, you know, contact lenses with recording capabilities, which huge props for doing that. I love that play with the tech. But dude, you can't just like getting shot is one thing. Tumbling through a fall and like rolling on concrete, you're going to get a little scuff on your cheek at least. Yeah, that, that took me out of the movie also. Those particular two moments that you mentioned, the explosion of the face i was like all right okay that's a little like i don't care what kind of kevlar you've got on your eyebrows don't exist anymore and and the um although i did really i liked everything before that in the wingsuit scene the way he's like he might not have jumped off a building before and he's like hyperventilating and stuff and the the adrenaline rush like on his face when he's like flying through the streets i thought that was fantastic but then I also just like the moment where he deploys, like he's he's inexperienced. He's an inexperienced Batman. He hasn't done all this shit before. So he, he deploys the parachute a little too early. It gets caught on the bridge and he bounces off the truck. Yeah, fine. But yeah, I mean, he should have definitely sustained a little bit more damage at particular points through the movie. Although I did love the moment where he just, I don't know what it is that he injects himself with. I just assumed it was like adrenaline, but that was, that was fucking sick. From a fresh adrenal gland, dude. That was awesome. That's, that's, a, I've never seen that in any Batman, him pulling out some chemical to, like, that was fantastic. Or some nuggets, some gems that, like, obviously some other character, Penguin was fantastic and we'll talk about, but that in particular, Gardner, thank you. He, talking about, like, small little gems, he takes the bat symbol off to cut something open. That's fucking sick. 
That was a fuck yeah moment. Not how you use a batarang. Yeah, the batarang slot on his chest. Although I guess that's not a batarang. It's just kind of like a knife. He didn't even throw one. Yeah, he doesn't have batarangs yet. Yeah. Which I guess because it was, which they said when they first showed his suit that it was going to be the Kevin Smith gun that killed his parents was there. But that's not what it was as the bat symbol. Because that's what in Kevin Smith wrote one in, I think it was like an anniversary edition of Batman. It might have been like Batman 1000 or something like that, where a bunch of different writers did something. And I think in his story, Batman used the gun that killed his parents as his bat symbol. Like it was shaped into it, like, which is very cool. He might've even melted it down to do it in that one. But people were speculating when they first saw the bat suit that that was what was going on in this one. But since he used that as a life, I think not really what was going on there. I didn't really see any trigger or anything on it, but it was, I wasn't really inspecting it as much as I was just kind of absorbing how cool the cowl and everything looked on him, dude. It was a, it's a great bat suit. I know I've already said that, but. Roger, I do appreciate your comment of his inexperience because that, was missed on me a little bit, but I, I'm down. I can clown with that, like you know, rags to riches, learning how to be a superhero story. It was just like, you know, he kept botching it. And you know, we watched Peacemaker, and he's referencing Batman. So I have this image in my head of the DC universe Batman, and it's like, oh, you know, maybe Peacemaker is fucking right. But I don't know where this movie lies in the DCU. Like, if it, it's not part of the DCU. It's not. It's a new. It's like Earth three or something like that. The 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 DCU is like on Earth one, and then the spinoffs are like on Earth two and Earth three and stuff. Um, but this is so. This is only his second year of being Batman, so he's still figuring it out. And obviously, that comes in in a big way with his narration at the very end of the movie. What his motivation for being Batman? I don't want to jump ahead too much, but his motivation for being Batman you know, is very much a novice. I'm learning the ropes of how to do this whole vigilante kind of thing. I feel like he causes more harm than good at his in his current state. Particularly the car chase. I was like, God damn. That was rough. Yeah. Although it was a great, great action sequence. Fantastic action sequence. I was like, are you sure you don't kill people? Because there's some serious wrecks on that fucking road. Also, it's always raining. Never any sunlight in Gotham. I didn't realize that Gotham was the New Orleans of the DCU, that it was below sea level. That is interesting, right? Although they use the environment as well in the Nolan trilogy of Gotham with like bridges and stuff like that. The Dark Knight Rises, they have the, the frozen lake that they have to cross right after they've been put on trial by the Sandman. So yeah, we've been jumping around. Obviously, we've touched on some of the points, but... The main story is the Riddler is terrorizing Gotham. He's killed the mayor at the beginning, and he keeps sending out these videos slash clues that are all addressed to the Batman, which I do like because it's kind of drawing on this idea that the Batman kind of makes these villains, and he's the one, he entices them into actually wanting to be there. Because it's like, dude, like a normal city doesn't have fucking Jokers running around. And obviously the reason is it's a comic book and that's why it has them running around. But in the universe, it can be like the Batman is making these villains in ways like whether it's we've seen in like MCU type stuff where they make villains by the destruction and aftermath and the what happens to bystanders in the fights kind of. Whereas I think in this one, it's more like crazy people seeing what they see as another crazy person doing getting away with it as a vigilante, then they're like, okay, well then I 
can do it with my manifesto, but their manifesto isn't saving Gotham, or at least they think it is maybe, but it's in a fucked up way. And I think that's interesting because this one definitely plays on that where it's like totally the Riddler says to him, he's like, I did this for you. Like you inspired me, all this. It's very much drawing on that. And we also have the Penguin in it, which is played by Colin Farrell in extensive makeup. I had to tell the people I was with that it was him and they were like blown away. He does get to do some awesome line reads. So there is a point in casting him. It's like, you don't need him to look like Colin Farrell, although he's a handsome man. It's, you get a performance out of him. That's what you're getting him there for. And you get, in this movie, you definitely get a, a Colin Farrell performance. I cannot wait for the series. So I don't know if, if, if you guys knew this. It doesn't look like you knew. They're doing a, an origin story series on HBO Max about the Penguin with Colin Farrell. And I cannot wait, dude. Absolutely transformative experience. Like you said, Duncan, the line reads were amazing. His voice, like, first of all, his face is completely unrecognizable. If you didn't tell me it was Colin Farrell, I would have never in a million years guessed that that's the guy who's playing the Penguin. And then his voice, he has this sort of like Italian sleazebag accent going on. My particular favorite line read of his in the whole movie is during the car chase. And... And when he does the, uh, he like does that laugh and he's like, this guy's crazy or <laughs> something like that. So good, dude. I was just blown away by him. That and when he freaks out when they show him the crime scene photo was the mo- the funniest moment in the entire film for me. What are you doing, man? I don't want to see that shit. Whatever he's like. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't want to see that. It's fucking amazing, dude. And then we haven't talked about Zoe Kravitz at all. She does a great job as Selena Kyle slash Catwoman. Yeah. <laughs> I thought she was amazing. I like Zoe Kravitz a lot. I just watched Kimmy last week and she is so charismatic. I was talking with my sister about this, actually. I was like, we were like, she has chemistry with everyone. She's like one of the most charismatic people I've ever seen on screen. And her Selena Kyle is so good. I love the connection with uh, her being Falcone's daughter and the drama that that brought to the story. Again, going back to the call Tarn gave me before he went to the theater, he was like, what scene can I like step out to go take a piss during this movie? Anything with like the love interest? And I was like, no, actually that stuff's pretty important to the story. Like you got to pay attention to that. There's um, as for as long as this movie is, there's not a lot of moments where you can really step out of the theater and like not miss something. I don't know. It feels like there's an important breadcrumb in almost every single scene. A little tease for later on, actually, because we're going to have potentially a special guest come on. I saw the film with two of my friends, and one of them was concerned with the length of the movie. And afterwards, we got out of the movie, and I was like, what did you think? He said he liked it. And I was like, what did you think of the length? Did that hurt you as you were watching it? And he was like, no, I was just worried about it like dragging. And he was like, it didn't drag at all. So, I mean, I totally agree with that, but I wanted to share like what at least one average moviegoer's opinion of it was. And we'll hopefully, like I said, a tease, hear a little bit more on what that person thinks later on in this episode. Arne, it doesn't look like you agree with the point that it, it doesn't track. I'm not here to tell any. I, my uh, initial comment was in jest about Batman being lame. I'm not here to tell anybody how to feel or what to enjoy. I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong for enjoying this movie or thinking that it didn't drag. I did happen to catch myself checking my, the clock to see, which I haven't done in a while in a movie, but man, it, I feel you say that there wasn't a lot to be taken out. I feel like there was a ton that could have not been in there, but 
it, it felt like a lot of like like what like holding your hand and explaining things or like at the beginning trying to create the issue like i feel like they could have lopped off like a half hour easy yeah i just i don't think i agree on that point but again that's just differing opinions on what we enjoyed of it but i think that most of it was pretty crucial and i enjoyed all of it too which is really important i think that it was entertaining for me and it doesn't seem like i've seen a lot of complaints on the length from people who have seen it it was something that i saw people complain about going into it and it seems like there's less so of worrying about that afterwards because i think a lot of people do tend to fall into the camp that being gardner do that it does well with the time and that it doesn't drag so that it's worth it then you know if it's not dragging for you but if it is dragging then it's like it can really can bog down a movie so i totally get that yeah, not, not every movie is going to hit for everyone, and that is fine. Totally fine. This one just in particular happened to really hit for me. I, I do not mean to be a Debbie Downer. I am happy that you guys enjoy the Batman. No, I don't think you are. I think you're bringing up points that you dislike about it, and that's what we're here for. It would be boring if every episode we agreed on everything. So we have, I mean, we talk about movies we love. We wouldn't bring a movie on that all three of us hate. But in general, if we all three of us love everything, then I think it'll be less interesting than if we have some differing opinions. And we've, you know, had back and forths in the past about how much we enjoy certain things. And we've definitely not agreed 100% on everything. So I think that it's not a bad thing or out of character for us to have someone who's having a less positive reaction on the podcast as one of us. So definitely no need to apologize there. While, while we are talking about Catwoman, I guess we did just bring her up. Were y'all not thrown off by the, the romance? It's like one, two, three, I'm into you, like immediately. It hasn't seen, but the cow and his lips, and she's like infatuated with this guy while she's also trying to be like an independent cat burglar, telling him to fuck off, but it's like- I didn't think it was all that immediate. Literally the third time they see each other, she goes in for the smooch. Yeah, but that, that third time, that's like an hour of runtime in the movie, maybe more. So for me, the buildup was fine. It wasn't like the first time they met, you know, there, there was, there was, there was sexual tension for sure with the choreography uh, of the way that they were like blocked in the scene and stuff like that. But the fact that, you know, he's, he's helping her and he seems to care about her and, and this major problem and the, and the loss of her friend. And the fact that, you know, it's like the third or fourth time that they've like gotten together and stuff in, in the film. I don't know. That didn't seem all that rushed to me. It didn't seem all that out of place. Plus, Batman and Catwoman always have some kind of fling. So I was expecting it anyway. And it's always, I think at least, kind of rushed. And not in a negative way. I can't think of a better word for it than rushed. But it's always kind of a quick, they're attracted to each other. And I can kind of see it. It's like, you're both freaks. You dress up in outfits and go out in the middle of the night and do weird shit. Like, I would be probably into Catwoman if I was Batman and vice versa. No. No, just shaking your head, Tarn. He, he says like nothing to her. It just is bizarre that she's like, you know, who she is and doing her own thing. And then it's like, oh, like you're acting like you're helping me while you're also totally using me as bait and okay with me turning on the red light for these fucking politicians, you know, not really concerned with what happens to her. She's, you know, trying to get back to it. And he's like, nah, like get back over there. It like he's from the jump, I don't see him as being, you know helpful outside of he's using her he has access to resources that she doesn't have and he uses those to help her i think there there is that scene where she's like oh so i'm just like bait on a hook and he doesn't 
tell her that she's not, you know, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He's like, be careful or, or something like that. Like, I want you to get back safe. But he's not like, you know, he never um, misleads her as to what he's trying to do. And she never misleads him as to what she's trying to do. So to me, that honesty in the relationship of them both just being masked vigilantes, it makes sense why there would be a connection, even if there are like some hard feelings, you know, in particular areas. I think every human has that with every other human. To me, that's not a, a deal breaker. And I would say, like you said, Gardner, that even though she does, she's honest with him about her intentions and what she wants, I would say, if anything, she's using him. Right, right. That becomes very important in the third act. Uh, and that's, that's a big time reveal. That's what I, yeah, I was thinking about later on in the movie. Yeah, that's a good point. And as we're talking about performances, we've talked about how great the Riddler is, but we didn't really mention Paul Dano at all. He's great at playing psychopaths and crazy people and people who make your skin crawl. He's just got one of those fucking talents. I don't know what it is, but he can do it. And I always think about Prisoners because it's one of my favorite movies. And he's so that kind of character in that film. And he does it so well. It's very similar to kind of little on the, on the topic here, but Barry, I don't know if it's Kogan or Keegan. I think it's Keegan. I don't, uh, I don't know. But very similar to that performance by Barry Keegan in The Killing of a Sacred Deer, I think. Which, again, I know Gardner, that's one of your favorites. Both of those are films that I love. I love, I mean, Denny Villeneuve is one of my absolute favorite filmmakers. So Prisoners is, is very high up there for me. And it was one that I kind of thought would be lower in his filmography for me and was kind of blown away by it. Although it's got a great cast, so I don't know why what I was expecting. But it wasn't necessarily about something that, like, I'm more into his sci-fi type arrival type things and like obviously dune and stuff like that but just a note that i saw those kind of parallels there and i loved paul dano's performance in this and i want to say that i had a little bit of a theory that didn't go anywhere and it's not necessarily proven wrong but they didn't say it in the movie so it's not there but i had a theory at a certain point that there was going to be two riddlers that there was going to be a twin for paul dano and that was maybe why he had two, like, I know obviously he has two IDs because he has one's a fake one, but I was thinking like, that would be a cool way. Like that would be a cool hints that he had to, and that when he was locked up, that that was going to be part of how he executed the plan at the end was going to be his twin brother. Just a note, because if there ever is revealed later on, if this becomes a franchise, which I totally see a trilogy coming out of this at least, but if it does and they pull that out of their ass somewhere, I fucking called it here. Now I know it's never going to happen, but just needed to put that out there. I, I looked to John, my friend that I was watching it with and, and said that to him. He was like, oh, that would actually be pretty cool. But it didn't happen. I think a sequel is definitely in order. Uh, this movie has so far made $128 million on its opening weekend, which is the second highest in the pandemic. So I think the studio, Warner Brothers, is going to look at that. And they've got the Penguin series coming out. I totally see this becoming at least a, at least a trilogy, if not a new branch of the DC franchise. And don't forget, we have The Flash, which I don't know if it's too late for them or if they maybe had filmed some stuff in case this was a big hit. But you could absolutely have Pattinson come over into if they wanted to continue the DCEU. But I almost feel like at this point, it would be better to kind of get rid of a lot of what they had in the DCEU. And who knows? There's a lot of rumors about what's going to happen in The Flash. And it's funny how it's very similar to what we have going on in the MCU at this moment with the multiverse and stuff. It's very interesting that the world is going to a multiverse state. I guess it was like, they were like, all right, we got to get a team up of all, all our characters. We've done that. Now we got to get a team up of all different versions of those characters or characters that we just bought or characters that we just got back. And it's very interesting. I mean, I eat that slop all the way up. 
that is for me and i'm gonna be finger pointing at the screen that's guy i know that's guy i know i fucking love it i eat it up it's not necessarily the best filmmaking i don't think i think it gives you crutches in certain aspects of what you have to do and like i love avengers endgame but it's got flaws because of that i think on a little bit of a tangent here right now but just where we're going forward in the dceu and with batman i think it's very interesting as well as i think they're talking about still a potential joker sequel really that's surprising i didn't know about that especially considering uh we introduced a new joker with barry keegan here at the end of this movie uh which is a great little tease i don't know i mean we we only see him for like 10 seconds right so it's not enough to judge his portrayal of the character off of but i'm iffy on it it's not as bad as leto's joker but it's um kind of reminds me of uh cameron monaghan's joker in a way from gotham which i didn't watch that show but i watched clips on youtube and i wasn't like that big a fan of his portrayal it's a little it's a little much i think i mean you'll you'll never come close to heath ledger he 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 set the bar and that's like impossible to reach but i would be very interested to see the flash uh bring in like a um spider-man no way home style of bringing three iterations of batman because i think michael keaton's already confirmed yes and i don't know if ben affleck is confirmed or not he might be i think he's still in the air i'm not that up to date on everything but i mean that movie's coming out so whatever he's in it or he's not they know i think but right like that movie comes out this year so that's not next year or anything that's 2022 yeah so stay tuned for that episode folks Oh, we'll definitely be doing an episode on The Flash. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I'm so down for, it's not a spoiler because it's definitely confirmed. I'm so down for Michael Keaton. I, I was maybe trying to tiptoe around that earlier, but it's out there. We're, we're definitely. No, he's confirmed. He's he's coming back for Batgirl too, right? The Batgirl movie. He's going to be in that one. I believe they're going to use him as a Nick Fury type is what it's been described as. Interesting. So very interesting. Okay. And it's like, it's, it's funny though, because it's like you're doing The Flash couldn't you just isn't there a flash before barry allen wouldn't you think that in the flash movie you would be doing the older flash isn't there an original flash that would come into play and i'm not saying that he's not going to show up i'm sure he is but it's so funny that we're all hyping up michael keaton in the flash movie where it's like it's another it's a symptom of these superhero movies where it's like nothing can stand alone and nothing can be its own thing i'm going on a little bit of a tangent where i'm talking about the negatives of something i love because i think it's kind of important to recognize the flaws in something and that's a part of why it's good that we have Tarn on here talking about things he didn't love about the Batman. But we're all into superhero stuff. We eat the superhero properties up and we acknowledge some of the flaws of it and sometimes enjoy it because of it and sometimes enjoy it regardless of it. But it is important, I think, that to note that something like it is important to note that I think something like the Batman, I think, is better for movies than something like The Flash or Spider-Man No Way Home is because this at least to me i think and maybe tara you can speak on this but even if you didn't enjoy it i think you can see it's got a vision and i actually saw something recently that said it's very interesting that everything since the adam west batmans have very clearly been of the director's vision like it's a it's a attempt at something right whether it's camp it has intentional direction yeah and it's not studio being like oh we're doing this with it or i'm sure they have notes and stuff like that and there's certain things you can and can't do in it but it is like this is a matt reeves movie for sure and the nolan trilogy i mean there's a reason they're called the nolan trilogy not just because it was one guy doing it but because it's very cohesively his story and his it's complete in ways that the sequel trilogy isn't complete because they didn't 
plan out and didn't have something like that in going into it. And I think that that's now going into Star Wars is something that that suffers from where they need some more planning going into it. I think that they've done that now with shows and stuff going forward. But again, another tangent. I like what the Batman has done. I think that it's good for superhero movies to have superhero films like this come out. And as much as Todd Phillips' Joker was maligned in certain ways and was maybe over hyped in certain ways i think and i i did really enjoy that film i saw it a couple times in theaters but it got too much praise i think i don't know if it maybe should have been nominated for best picture for example like that, that's a little excessive i think but it is still an example i think at least of a movie that's good for superhero films it's good to have movies like joker and the batman come out more so and as much as i love i mean i was one of the guys going crazy during opening night of no way home more so than movies like that where it's like look at our ip look at our property i wonder why that is why the batman property is one that like offers this freedom to exist in its own space you know is it because it's one of the most storied properties in all of comic books and superheroes obviously he's not older than is batman older than superman I believe superman's older okay i was gonna say depends on the movie he's not as no i'm talking about the comics yeah, I know. Taran's doing it. He's talking about like age. Oh, he's doing a he's doing a joke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, but yeah, that's something that's always fascinated me about the the Batman IP and the the coterie of of um, supervillains is that it somehow lends itself. Maybe it's the studio. I don't know what it is to able to be more standalone and and offer a specific vision uh, from the directors than other superhero properties which are very much stuck in you know hitting a checklist kind of thing it's just batman doesn't have to do anything dude he doesn't even put the people in jail i think there's something to be said though also about tim burton being the one who does 1989 right and him being a director who has such a visual style right and because of that and because it did so well and because it was not supposed to do so well like it was not supposed to, the batman movie was not supposed to do well it wasn't supposed to become this phenomenon and it did which i'm surprised going into it because i mean tim burton wasn't a nobody and michael keaton certainly wasn't a nobody although you go back and you look at what people were saying around the cast and they're like oh you got a guy who's known for like rom-coms and like comedy and stuff like that doing batman people were not happy about michael keaton being cast as batman from what i've heard but i think there's something to be said about maybe because tim burton isn't like if you had someone who was a director for hire do the first batman movie even if it did well and it if it did it had a studio look to it it didn't have a vision like that i think that maybe going forward you don't get things like even schumacher's but like nolan's and snyder's and matt reese i mean for me again like this pattinson version and the nolan slash bale version is those are the Batmans that I connect with the most and those are the ones that I grew up with. I've seen all the old ones and I actually really appreciate the campiness of them in ways that I think people sometimes don't give them credit for. But those are my Batmans and I think what I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of the vision, I think that guys like Nolan Reeves wouldn't have gotten the opportunity opportunity guys like Nolan Reeves wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to make their movies as them as they are without maybe a guy like Tim Burton and even Tom Phillips getting the chance to make his movie in his director style, even if he's drawing on other directors in that movie, he wouldn't have gotten the chance either, as well as the other directors, if maybe Tim Burton doesn't have this breakout movie in Batman. Not his breakout movie, but Batman's breakout movie in 1989. Yeah, that's a great point. The Tim Burton's Batman is so stylized and so singular, and it was such a huge success. I mean, they didn't expect to make a sequel, but they did. I mean, Batman Returns is an experience. It's such a crazy movie. I love those two movies. They're um, campy, hilarious, 
engaging. Jack Nicholson's Joker is fantastic. Danny DeVito's uh, Penguin is just unreal. Like you're watching those movies and you're just like, I can't believe this got made. It's astounding. And I think that's that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. But that being the breakout Batman movie led to, you know, future movies being like, okay, we need like an artist with like a singular vision to handle this property. And that's when I think you have the most successful and the most unique or true to the heart, I guess, like actual art made films is when you allow directors to do that as opposed to, you know, just getting a guy to do a movie. I don't want to like rag on Spider-Man No Way Home or Tom Watts, but... You know, I don't think he's giving his vision there. I think he's doing what Marvel wants him to do, which is fine. I mean, no, again, no hate to him. I think I have the name right. Tom Watts to John Watts, not Tom Watts, but no hate to him. But I guess I was mixing up Tom Holland there. It's different than when you have a Batman movie like this, or even I'm going to mention Joker again, because I'm going to give Todd Phelps credit there. I did enjoy that movie and I thought the performance was great too. So stuff like that maybe doesn't happen and maybe it isn't as good for movies. Because I would like to see more stuff like this. And I would, I'm hoping that Sam Raimi's given a little bit more to do in Multiverse of Madness, which from the trailers, I actually do think that it looks more like a Sam Raimi film than it does a Marvel film, which I think is a great thing. But I think it's interesting to talk about Batman and the Batman movies in the context of DC and superhero movies in general and the way they play out and how they're different and how they're, A, they, they're this darker ones in a lot of ways, starting with the Nolan films that kind of led into maybe you get movies like Logan and stuff like that because of the Dark Knight trilogy. But B, it's also like this vision of an actual director, which I think, again, started with like Tim Burton. The consistency and execution for the film is is huge, right? Like you want everything hidden instead of people dropping their own touch. It, it could, if this goes on and we get more Penguin action and like they flesh this world out, maybe I'll come around on this movie. I uh, Like the same way I was pressuring y'all on the book of Boba Fett. You know, I don't, it's just DC feels like they're scrambling. and. I don't know. They're just all over the place. They're definitely scrambling and they're definitely all over the place, but like, and their, their lows are really fucking low. Like the theatrical cut of Batman versus Superman is atrocious. Same with the theatrical cut of justice league. But when they hit and when they allow, I feel like the reason that it's so hit or miss, and maybe I'm completely wrong, but part of the reason that it's so hit or miss is because they allow their directors to, do their own thing. And sometimes they hire the wrong person for the job. And sometimes they overreact and, you know, need to step in and, and meddle like with original 2016 Suicide Squad and with Justice League. And then that ends up fucking it over more. And I think when they trust their directors and just allow them to do their thing, Warner Brothers finds gold, like the Nolan trilogy, like Joker, like you won't agree with me, Tarn, but this movie, you know, uh, or or Peacemaker. That's another DC property that they allowed James Gunn to just go and, and do his own thing. And when you give uh, creative that freedom and you just trust them without meddling too much, I think you see a really positive result if you've hired the right person. And the closest I think we've gotten to that, apart from hopefully what's going to happen with Raimi, is Taika Waititi in Thor Ragnarok, which still is formulaic in ways and is not a Taika Waititi film when you look at his other films it's not the same as Taika Waititi film always is because he would do I think different things if it was all in his control but that's the closest I think so far they've gotten to a vision of a director 
and it's still it's like he's being told what he can and can't do for sure and i'm sure that there's parts of that in batman like they're i'm sure he's told he can't like kill off catwoman in the first movie for example or something like pick a character like like jim gordon for example there's there's certain characters i'm sure that they're told like you can't fuck with but overall it's a vision and we're, we're kind of belaboring the point a little bit here but because i think we're, we're agreeing on it but to our listeners this is the kind of movie that at least me and gardner are excited about for superhero movies and i think for filmmaking in general but i think that even tarn and maybe you correct me if i'm wrong can you see what we're, where we're coming from on that aspect whether or not it hits for you because like gardner is saying like sometimes maybe you don't hire the right director and maybe in your opinion this isn't the right guy for a batman movie or this isn't the right story for a batman movie but can you see where we're coming from where we say it's like good for filmmaking good for comic book movies to have movies like this come out i i 100 appreciate the bold fresh take on a hundred year old superhero that i think that's needed i was just i struggle with the execution and a lot of, like some of it was just technical stuff like i thought some of the action scenes were too loud and too dark like there was parts of the movie that was grading volume all of his little gadgets the too fucking loud i don't need to feel like you're shooting your your grappler like next to my face maybe that's just like a little mixing issue maybe you know obviously intentional because that's what went out but you know some things like that bothered me and they compounded but i am down for new takes don't reboot rewash the same thing like that's not fun and i think that we are gonna get like because gardner you brought up the penguin series and i think just i mean they had it at the end with the joker you wouldn't have that scene if you're not trying to at least potentially have a trilogy we're getting a trilogy in my opinion i think we can probably put that down in the paper in pen we don't need to write that in pencil we're getting a trilogy i think hopefully that's not me like putting the oh this kicker never misses and then he misses the kick right now i hope i'm not jinxing it right now but i'm calling my shot we're getting the trilogy i don't i think it's pretty obvious a joker riddler team up would slay and like they're already kind of fucking up batman i'm down to see them give it to him again in the second movie yeah i kind of thought batman was going to die in this movie that one particular shot where he cuts where there's um so after the riddler has been in prison and he's detonated the vans along the seawall and the water is rushing into that area where uh bella Royale and uh you know all those supporters are hanging out and there's that one piece of like scaffolding or whatever it is it's swinging around and he cuts it and there's that shot where he's falling out of the water i was like damn they're bold they're about to kill batman right now and of course they didn't and i was like damn i hope they don't kill batman because i want more of this and they they read my mind and they didn't so thank you matt reeves but it just felt like um this could have been standalone like joker i hope they don't do a joker sequel i feel like one movie is is good i feel like they could have done that with this if they wanted to but i'm in this case, I'm glad that they did not. I think the the Joker movie, Joker Joker would have a great time with this movie's Riddler. They they would get along great, and their cronies would uh, be one and the same. They're probably mutuals. Actually, though, I was agreeing with you, but then now that I think about it, I feel like this Riddler might think he's better than that Joker. Like he'd think of him as an imbecile almost. I mean, that's that's the Riddler. Maybe, but I feel like this Joker with Barry Keegan is gonna be. A better team up i think because i feel like it'll be a more cerebral type of joker where it's more like i can set things up here's one thing that uh, a little bit of a tangent here i'm sorry that i've been bringing so many kind of broad things up about batman and the universe but in the dark knight for example a lot of people bring up that things have to go perfectly right for the joker for things to his plan to go into action and i've seen a take and this is how i subscribe to 
the idea of it, and this is my, I guess we'll call it headcanon, that I've stolen from this post that I've seen in the past, is the Joker has 90 different traps set up. And if you, you just hit the right combination to fall into this one, but if you had done something different and this one didn't work out, he had another one waiting for you. That's my at least take on the Heath Ledger Joker. And I think that makes it a little more realistic where it's like things don't have to necessarily go perfectly right for his plan, but he's got so much going on that he's ready for everything kind of deal. And in a crazy way too, like he's still batshit crazy, but he's ready for everything. And I can kind of feel Barry's Joker going kind of that direction and being a good team up where they can really set up a crazy mystery if they really want to go. Like I would get your fucking writing hat on for that one because that would be a hard movie to fucking pen, I think. Yeah, Joker's he's not exactly um, smart, but he is cunning in that he knows how to achieve his goals, you know, through deceit or deception or, or uh, whatever kind of manipulation he needs to make happen that he needs to make happen to achieve his goals. Manipulation would be the perfect word for Joker. And again, I don't mean to to hammer this, but I don't know if I've seen Batman get beat as bad as he did in this movie. And I mean, I didn't, I kind of thought we were going to have like a happy ending where, you know, he was going to catch him and him and Catwoman were going to ride off in the sunset on their, you know, three day fiance special. And then it's like Gotham is done. And I, I like seeing it's, it's bad. But I like seeing the villains have some sort of chance and they have more than a chance right now against, you know, this novice Batman who, Emotional turmoil is only getting worse. He'll have more than just eye black on. Maybe he'll have like, I don't know. He, he's losing everybody. I love the difference in ideology and like perspective on Gotham between Batman and Catwoman in this movie. That Catwoman is like, this city's beyond saving. I'm getting the hell out of here. And Batman has this idea of like, no, they just need hope. You know, they've been addicted to vengeance for so long. And I was too. And I can be, it's very, very Nolan-esque. Obviously, this is just, you know, core elements of Batman's character, but I can be what they need me to be. I need to focus on hope and give them hope. And there might be a renaissance of this city. You know, he's, he's not one to give up. He's got to worry about doing his damn dishes before he worries about fixing the city. I mean, big boss baby vibes here, but it is totally the ending of Dark Knight where he makes that decision to be the Dark Knight and let Harvey be the White Knight. So it's very similar to that. And it is also, I like, I've touched on this before, but it is mentioning how is Gotham in a better place now than, I, than when I got here? And the answer is no. And he acknowledges that. And he acknowledges that maybe it'll take some time. Like maybe year two isn't the year that you solve all of Gotham's issues. So I like that. And I like the idea that it brings up some of these things that are, for me at least, they're the, these big ideas that kind of are in-universe explanations not that's not the best way to describe it but they are like explanations for things you would say it's almost lampshading things you would say about the universe like why is if you have got gotham in the cesspool and you have batman why is it not getting any better why why is batman even doing this is he even good is he doing any good does he bring these villains to the open is he the one that's inspiring them which is the point that i brought up earlier i think those ideas are very interesting and things that you should bring up in your batman movie and again it's a little bit it's it's on the verge of being lampshading almost but it's not i think it's actually kind of clever and i think it works and i like bringing them up and not being too on the nose a little on the nose at certain points i think in this movie about it but bringing it up in ways that are like it wants the audience to talk about it and think about it and again i think that's matt reeves wanting his audience to come away from the movie 
not just being like Batman's sick, but like, what are the questions about Batman and what do we want to think about? Like, I mean, they bring up his white privilege in the movie, which has kind of been joked about a little bit on the, in, in the Twitter universe. But I think it's, I mean, what's wrong with that? I think it's perfectly reasonable for Catwoman to bring up his white privilege in this. And I think that it's true. And I think it also, because there's that whole thing about like, Batman should just use his money for like social funding and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, cool. That's not a fun movie to watch. You go watch that film, get back to me on it. And like, tell me how much fun that Batman is. Like, it's not, that's a stupid argument to make, but it is something that's fun to bring up from a different character. I think like a Selena Kyle bringing it up and being like, and she doesn't know he's Bruce Wayne, but bringing up that she knows he's white, he's got the cowl on, bringing up that he has this privilege and that she does it and that she's put in this. I mean, it's it's a core element, I think, of her character in a lot of Batman writing that she's underprivileged in a bad situation. Not Society is not treating her correctly. And that's why she's doing the things she does. And she's this anti-hero type of character who I love. I'm very interested in her. And I think that I've I've liked a lot of the performances the portrayals of her throughout the Batman movies, even the Anne Hathaway one, who I'm not the biggest Anne Hathaway fan, but also I didn't say this before you brought up the Jared Leto Joker. Fuck Jared Leto. I know if I haven't said it yet on the podcast, fuck Jared Leto. I fucking hate that guy. Fuck Jared Leto. We hate Jared Leto here at GDT as an actor and a person. I don't know. I think he was a decent actor, but definitely as a person, I hate him as an actor. I think he overacts. He was great in the house of Gucci. He sucked in blade runner 2049. Okay. He was good in um, Dallas Buyers Club. He was good in Dallas Buyers Clubs. I still think that, I don't know. I don't know if I would give him the Oscar for it, but sure. No, I wouldn't have given him the Oscar. I think he was good. But yeah, big team fuck Jared Leto over here. He sucks as a human being. He's a bad person. Here's another bad person, me, to dump on y'all's take. I was a little put off by how entitled Catwoman seemed. She was like, oh, if my dad didn't disown me, I would be rich as fuck. But now I'm not. She's like, I should have had, I should be rich and I'm not, not like this city's fucking people. It's like, I got screwed. I don't know if that was her, was that like necessarily what she was saying there? Or was she saying, fuck this guy? I think it was more about leaving her. I read it as fuck this guy in particular. Yeah. Right. And not like a, yeah, sure. I, I deserve this money because I, I don't think she thought she was owed more because she says, I deserve this money and more. He owes me this money and he owes me more than this. And I don't think her point is that, hey, I'm stealing 100K from him and he really owes me 500K because if you're taking taxes and inflation and all that, I think her point is that I'm taking 100K from him and what he owes me is a fucking childhood and you can't pay for that. Priceless. There's no, there's no 100K, 500, exactly priceless. So it's like, I think in her opinion, she's like, well, what can I, I I'm going to take the money now and I'm going to utilize that to do what I can with it now. But I'm not necessarily saying that I should be a rich person. I'm saying that I should have had a dad. And he's still getting off easy. You take this money from him, he's still, this is nothing to him. Right. Yeah. I know. And then she she just keeps it for herself. That seems very selfish. She's not Robin Hood. She's Catwoman. It's important to know that she is not a superhero or a hero. She's very often a villain and someone who, not necessarily a villain in the traditional sense, but she's she's part of the rogues gallery. She's not part of the Justice League. She's someone that Batman often has love interest with and is often working with, but it's similar to this movie where they have a same end goal, but they're not, they don't have the same, or they have a same path to a different goal. Like they're both trying to accomplish different things. Which is why I was kind of bothered by her like swooning so hard because she is like a lone wolf or a solo tiger or whatever. Like 
she so quickly not only leaned on him but attached herself to him whereas i feel like uh, the Catwoman that we're describing would be more opportunistic and exploitative of batman and not just fall head over heels for him from you know him being batman here's my reading on it at least it's that she's not falling for him in my opinion or being attached to him like you say in a way where like i need this guy i view it and i could be completely wrong here but i view it as her being this definitely strong independent character who does what she sees fit and acts that way and is going for her own goals and because of that she's like if i want to be with batman fuck it i deserve batman not like a oh i need to be with batman but it's like a i'm kind of into this he's, he's pretty hot like i'm gonna go get what i want kind of thing where it's like taking what you not taking what you need but taking what you desire in a way that's kind of agency in my opinion where it's like she it would be different if batman was swooning over her and she gave into it i think and I, I think I hesitate to even use the word swooning because I don't think she's swooning over him again. I think it's more of a, I can hook up, like it's it's kind of an independent move. Like it's like, it's again, agency where it's like, I am choosing to go after this guy in a way where like, I'm fine if you if you say no. And I think that you've seen that with Catwoman in the past too, where like she gives him not really an ultimatum, but a like, come with me if you want. And if not, I'm going to go get my own in a different way. And like, I think Anne Hathaway's version was similar in that. And we do see that at the end of that, he does end up, with her in, in that beautiful scene in Dark Knight Rises with uh, Alfred. But like I said, I think it's more of a, her being independent and actually making a decision of her own than it is her needing him. To its credit, you could totally read it as like, it would be in her benefit. And she doesn't know that he's a billionaire, Bruce Wayne, you know, as far as she's concerned, he's like a, you know, a, a troubled vigilante who is one flash of cash away from joining her and they could, you know, run it, right? Yeah, like she doesn't know. It's important that she doesn't know he's Bruce Wayne. She does say at one point that she can tell he grew up rich. She does say that, yep. But she's not saying you are rich. She's like, I can tell you have that upbringing. The ableist comment of what is, fuck, what did he, what does he say? I don't know if you guys remember. Something along the lines of, I don't even know. I think it was like, you got to provide for yourself or some shit. I don't know. If you don't like doing it, do something else. I don't know. He said bootstraps at one point, I believe. I'm playing. I'm playing. Oh, you know he loves his bootstraps with his fucking lifted dominatrix stompers. One thing I want to touch on before we wrap up our discussion is, um, do you guys think the Riddler knew that Batman was Bruce Wayne? I did it. I did for a little bit. No, I don't think he does. I think it's I think it's intentionally ambiguous, but I don't think he know, I don't think he knows either. I don't think he knows either because he idolizes Batman. He wanted to work together with Batman. And he hates the Waynes. So if he had known that Batman was Bruce Wayne, I think it would have been a different story. And we didn't touch on it, but I thought it was one of the best scenes in the movie when he was like, Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne. And then it's like, you're on the edge of your seat. That's filmmaking right there, in my opinion. And it's like, then it hits you with the, we almost had him or whatever he is. You know, he was the one that got like that we couldn't get. He's the one thing in the way. And you see the relief on Pattinson's face too, I think. And it's great acting under a cowl. We talk about Mando and Boba's acting, or I should say Tamara and Pedro's acting is great under a helmet. I think Pattinson did a good job under the cowl in this as well. He's got a strong chin. Like that's all it takes. He's got a great, he's got a great chin. It really is one of the most important parts about being Batman. Like the helmet goes on anybody, but if you got a flat chin, it's gonna look ridiculous. The silhouette works because he's chiseled. 
He's got a tar and beard popping out of the cow. And that's immune to flame. So the end of the movie, the Riddler is captured. He lets himself be captured within the corner deli or corner some sort of restaurant. I'm not sure if it's a deli, but I'm calling it a deli. And he has just sniped Falcone and it's that great bring him into the light moment. And you see Batman like kind of look up at the light too. And then later on, the Riddler makes it explicit. He's like, I told you to bring him the light. You did. We're working together. Like, great. Which is that moment where I was talking to you about where he thinks they're working together. And that's like Batman bringing out the villains. He's creating these villains and stuff like that, inspiring these villains. And he lets himself be caught. He asks for Batman. We have that scene where he, we think he knows who Bruce Wayne is. He doesn't. He, he lets him know that there's one more thing. And at that moment, the floodgates open. All the explosions go off. The vans that were parked at different places. And we have everyone rushing to... I'm sorry. I know you guys aren't New Yorkers. But Gotham Square Garden, you didn't have to do that. That was ridiculous. Also, I'm pretty sure Gotham is canonically in New Jersey. And Metropolis is New York City. Or Metropolis is something else. And New York City still exists. It's one or the other. Gotham is not canonically New York City. Madison City, baby. I didn't think Gotham had a uh, canonical, like, physical location. I I always... And this is because the Nolan movies are filmed in Chicago, but I always put it in like the Midwest somewhere. LaSalle, baby. It's all the rain. Yeah, the rain too. And this this version of Gotham is particularly rainy. That, that's why I place it in the Midwest Chicago feel because it's just so wet. In, in most Batmans, I feel like it's damp. A cursory Google search does say that the state of New Jersey is traditionally depicted as being where Gotham City is located in the U.S., and the look and atmosphere is primarily influenced by New York City, which is fine, but you can't be in New Jersey and be having a fucking Madison Square Garden stand-in, dude. I did not appreciate that. And me and John being Long Islanders growing up, and no, 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 Nikki Piff, who we'll see in a little bit, being a Long Islander as well, watching that, we all had a good chuckle seeing that, and they bring it up a couple times, and it's just like, uh, first they just show it, and I looked at John, and then they say it later on, and I'm just like, we didn't need to do this. For me, that took me out of the film. And it's like not a thing that I would ever take points off for, but it was something where I was like, I, we're, we're trying too hard to like be like, oh, look, this is like a movie. Yeah, that's like the when, the when the news report has like insert title here in brackets and it's like they forgot to put what they wanted to put there. Well, it's like that. And they had the um, the Gotham Times Square earlier in the movie. It was like, OK, you had that. You can't have that. And Gotham Square Garden, you know, it's pick one or the other. It's a little silly. It's a little silly. But again, another tangent. They do end up there. The mayor is there. We have everyone flooding into there, play on words intended. And we have 500 or so of the Riddler's followers have been watching him on his, not live streams, but I guess vlog, we'll call it, that requires a password. I did see a tweet that was like, they said in the Batman movie that he had 500 followers. Like, that was a big thing. Like, dude, yeah, 500 followers on Twitter may, might not be a big thing, but having 500 people who are subscribed to your clearly off, like, the regular internet, off-the-grid website. Your Patreon. Yeah, it's basically a Patreon that, that you have. Them. They have to have a password. They have to figure out your riddle to even get into it. So it is, 500 is a lot to have there. So I want to, like, nitpick, or I want to argue against that little nitpick that I saw on the internet and say that. But... He has them and they're all kind of getting their call to arms. They're going to, I'm going to laugh every time I say it. They're going to Gotham Square Garden and they are all lined up on the top of like where the TV is hung and where the lights are hung. The Jumbotron. The Jumbotron is hung. Right. And they got their guns out. 
I do think it's interesting that some of them seem to have shotguns. I think there was a shotgun blast at one point. I was like, why do you have it? Well, if you're up there, shouldn't you have a different gun? Like, or you should be down there with a shotgun, I felt like. But that's just a, a real quick side point. And here's where they have the mayor comes out to give a little speech and they have their guns trained on her. I thought it would have been a very ballsy move to actually kill her. Just do a headshot. And I thought they were going that route. But they hit her like in like the lower part of the stomach kind of area. And it's like, she's going to survive for sure. And this is pretty much the wrap up. Batman saves the day at Gotham Square Garden. And the Riddler has his little freak out scene, right? He's like, no, no, no. I forget exactly what he says, but he's, he's freaking out. He's like, mm, which I thought was very, I mean, Paul Dano is the guy you hired to have one of those freak out scenes for sure. And this is where we get Barry Keegan as the Joker. He's talking next to him. He's like, better luck next time. Kind of like you did, you kind of, you got a lot accomplished. Like he's like hyping him up a little bit. Definitely seemed like it was not only hinting to the Joker in the future, but a team up between the Joker and the Riddler in the future, which I think is a very smart move. You don't hire Paul Dano and then be like, yeah, we're going to get rid of him. No, I think that you do maybe even a similar move to what the Nolan trilogy, that's, there's got to be a dinger for every time we mention it in this episode, the Nolan trilogy, but very similar to how Killian Murphy was in the dark knight and the dark knight rises where he kind of popped up i think he shows up in the dark knight as well but i know he shows up in the dark knight rises and i like that how scarecrow is able to like still be there and it's another good actor so why not do the same with paul dano yeah paul dano is amazing he absolutely killed it as this role i love that scene in uh, where he's freaking out and breaking down and if they don't bring him back i am going to be royally pissed i wish he would have gotten more screen time that was another issue i had that it was so wrapped up in the drama and the turmoil of batman that we didn't really get as I don't know, as much screen time as i would have liked for the villains that mattered i think i agree with you on that point yeah i agree also i would have liked to have seen more screen time and then batman's attempt at solving the riddles felt like that might have been what it was is that they felt like they dumbed down the riddles because he's spray painting a bubble chart with four arms on his floor he doesn't have all the tech in the world, but again, I guess he's broken down to he's depressed. Nothing after. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I get that. I'm there, but like, it was, it's just like the Riddler was so cool. And it was like the way he's interacting with his traps is so rudimentary. And like, I, I was just really, I really enjoyed the Riddler for the little bit of screen time that he got the, I thought, I thought the selfie videos were a little odd, but they worked for the character. And it was clear that Paul Dano got to put his spin on it. We were talking about the directors before, but I think it's also important. I mean, the Batman rogues are very important to telling a Batman story. And they're the most well-known rogues that you got. They're literally, it's like, I'm, I don't know if it's the same. I know we've talked about this in the past off air, but in the past, it was Batman, Spider-Man, Joker were the top three selling comic book properties for like merchandise for kids and stuff like that. But so obviously Batman, we talk about Batman, it's important to have good villains. And we had that in abundance in this movie with Colin Farrell and Paul Dano, but maybe more screen time would have been better. I think I agree with that. I mean, I love John Torturo, but Falcone, am I that invested? I don't, I, I said this to some people afterwards that I was talking to off air again. I'm not that interested in the mob bosses in Gotham. And I, that's that was part of my problem with Batman Begins, even though I love that movie was we had we had scarecrow but it was really focused a lot on the mob parts which i guess is important and makes sense when you're talking about a young batman because he hasn't gotten the chance to inspire all these villains yet but i'm not that interested in a batman story that's just about like the mob i want a crazy rogue and you know we've seen in the past with guys like walking phoenix and 
Heath Ledger and even Jack Nicholson with the Joker. And then you want to talk about Tom Hardy as Bane and I think Murphy as the Scarecrow as well. And then other past performances, I'm not going to touch on all the, like, I mean, I like Jim Carrey as Riddler, even though he's basically playing the Joker. And Tommy Lee Jones, I think, was kind of phoning it in as Two-Face. But it is important to have these rogues that are and these villains that are portrayed in a distinct way and by a good performer. And that's why Paul Dano, I think, knocks it out of the park and he's such good casting for this, and as well as Colin Farrell. But I mean, obviously Colin Farrell is the lesser villain in this film, but I just want to touch on how good Paul Dano is and how important it is when we talk about like directing, but also the performance as well, to have your own flair on it, your own twist on it. What we really need is Condiment King to spice up the Bat- Gotham City, but I don't know if that'll ever happen. You gotta just watch Harley Quinn, dude. So. That was our discussion of the Batman. We, at the very end, tied up all the loose ends, talked about what happens at the end. If there's anything that we need to mention before we get into the end of our episode, please, guys, speak now or, as always, forever hold your peace. Robert Pattinson, good Batman. Good Bruce Wayne. That's all I got to say. He's a vampire Batman. Rob Bat Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. I know. I was doing a Clantonio Brown. (laughs) Okay. I was like, dude, it's right there. No, I know, I know. Oh, okay, yeah, over my head. Bat Burt Manninson. Nailed it! That's the one. I'm Bat Burt Manninson. So that does mean it is time, after our discussion, for final thoughts and ratings of the Batman. Gardner, you get to go first. How much exactly did you enjoy the Batman? What's your score out of 100? Let's hear it right now. Absolutely. To me, this movie is in conversation with The Dark Knight. I don't know if it's as good as The Dark Knight, but I really enjoyed it. It was the Batman that I was looking for and hoping for. To that end, this movie, for me, gets 90 Batman muscle cars out of 100. Oh, we didn't talk about how sick the Batmobile looked. I know. What a reveal, dude. I mean, I had seen it in some of the promotional stuff, but... When they pulled it out there, amazing. I don't know how he got it there when it's fucking loud as shit. Maybe it's got a little electric engine, a battery and battery power engine for stealth mode. I don't care. It looked cool. <laughs> that's, that's all that mattered to me. It looked awesome. Absolutely. So, Taran, that means it's your turn. Put your money where your mouth is. How bad was this movie? Are you Are you prepared for this? I mean, if you must know, for me, I'm just going to be as honest as I am. I wasn't trying to be. This movie fucking sucked for me. I thought it was trash. Again, too dark, too loud, too long, low stakes, weak sauce. The redeeming qualities, I love the penguin. I love the contact lenses. And I don't know. I don't even think I really liked the score, which we didn't talk about. But it drove me fucking insane. I thought the score was Batman's theme. Dude, every time that came on, I was jazzed. I mean, yeah, to each their own. Again, yeah, y'all heard what I had to say. This might have been my least favorite movie I've seen in years, and I have no intention of ever watching it again. That being said, I give this 28 misused gadgets out of 100. Definitely surprised to hear worst movie in years. I definitely, when you said that, though, I was like, is he going to go like 12 or something? 28, not great. Sorry that we had you watch this. I don't see where you're coming from at all. I just can't imagine seeing this movie and thinking that you hadn't seen a, a, a worse movie than this in years. I just, I'm so glad that I'm, I'm not viewing this movie in that lens. I, I just, I, I can't feel bad enough for you. So man gave the purge from last year, a better <laughs> than this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those might need to be revisited. The forever purge dude. Oh my God. But I at least want, I, 
I pulled my phone out numerous times to see what time it was. And there was multiple moments over the course of the movie where I was like, like, oh, oh, really? Like, there was just, by the time it got good, the last 30 minutes were cool. All right. That's ever to each their own, like you said. I, again, I just see it differently and I'm I'm glad that I do because I would have been so disappointed if I went into this movie and got that out of it because I was so excited for it so I'll get into it right now I the casting I think was phenomenal I mean even in characters like Falcone that I said like I don't really love I love John Turturro so put him in anything Severance if you guys are not watching Severance right now check it out he plays Irving in that and he's great it's Adam Scott's the lead in it. It's a great show. It's only four episodes in. Releases every Friday on Apple TV. Little plug. They're not paying me at all, but check him out in that. He's great in everything he's in. But inspired casting, dude. Colin Farrell as the Penguin is just amazing. Paul Dano as the Riddler, phenomenal. I forget who they were talking about when they were doing the casting of this, being the Riddler, but there was someone that they had originally said was going to be the Riddler, and then they made it Paul Dano, and I was disappointed at the time because I wasn't the biggest Paul Dano guy. But now, in hindsight, I just think he killed it. And like you said, Tarn, I almost wanted more of him. So that almost was a negative that they didn't have him on screen as much because he he was chilling. He was smart. He was a great uh, Riddler, in my opinion. And I love Robert Pattinson. Thought he did a great job. Like I said, Jim Gordon, Jeffrey Wright did a great job. Zoe Kravitz was amazing. Would have liked more Andy Serkis. I don't know why you get Andy Serkis to do Alfred and then barely have Alfred in the movie. Gardner, you brought that up. But overall... I can't say I liked it better than The Dark Knight. I know that like the hype for The Dark Knight has kind of waned in recent years where people are like, is it that good? I don't know. I still love it. I even love The Dark Knight Rises. So I'm a sucker for Nolan movies. I'm a sucker for Batman movies. With that being said, I'm giving this 92 grappling hooks out of 100. The grappling hook usage in this movie was phenomenal. And a good grappling hook in a Batman movie is key. So I love this movie. And with that, I pass. So that does it for our ratings, but we actually have a bonus segment on this bonus minisode. We are joined now by a special guest. My friend, Nick, aka Nicky Piff, is here right now to talk to us about what he thought about the Batman. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Of course, dude, anytime. Yeah, so with the movie, I told you when we got there, uh, actually like probably a day before I saw three hours, I was like, Oh no, I don't know if I can be able to sit through a three hour movie. But uh, honestly, I thought the three hours went pretty quick. Like I'm not a big movie guy myself. I usually go when Duncan invites me and we go see a movie together. But uh, I thought the film went really well. It paced itself really well. The only complaint I had about the movie is that uh, I didn't really feel that Bruce Wayne was being portrayed how he used to be. He was kind of like, you always used to Bruce Wayne being like a nice, clean shaven, always well-dressed type of guy. and it was kind of different the way Robert Pattinson portrayed him in, uh, in this portion of Batman. That was my thoughts. But I like, uh, I know Duncan and I talked about this after the movie. He looked really good as the Batman. Like, he had the good, sharp jawline, really portrayed Batman really well. It was just Bruce Wayne that I thought was kind of, I didn't like. So we touched on this a little bit earlier where I was saying kind of similar things as to what you're saying, Nick. And I know we did discuss this a little bit. We saw it together with our friend John, and we discussed it a little bit afterwards. But... Gardner, you missed this part, Nick, was talking about how he actually really enjoyed the Bruce Wayne aspect of it. So, Gardner, do you want to pitch to Nick your why this was good as Bruce Wayne? I'll, I'll give it a shot. Sure. So if Bruce Wayne existed in real life, if Batman existed in real life, he'd be an absolute maniac. He'd be a lunatic, right? He'd be so weird. He would not have any friends. 
And for me, we have seen the playboy billionaire Bruce Wayne before, right? If you want that Bruce Wayne, you can just go watch the Nolan trilogy, in my opinion. So I liked that we got a fresh take on Bruce Wayne. I liked that it was a little more realistic to what this kind of lifestyle would do to a person. You wouldn't be, you know, trimmed up and dressed up and buttoned up. Most of the time you'd be wearing like this, this like hideous, like, like sweat outfit or whatever that he's wearing when the accountants come to call. He just doesn't look professional whatsoever. He's a young guy. He's new to being Batman. He's got this horrible trauma. And it just, I think with the tone of this movie and with the plot element of the renewal fund going neglected because of his neglect of Wayne Enterprises, if he was that version of Bruce Wayne, I think the movie would kind of tonally have an issue, right? It would kind of, it would feel odd that his Bruce Wayne behaved as previous Bruce Wayne. So for me, that portrayal of Bruce Wayne, I was like all about it. It was it was big fuck yeah for me. I like that. <laughs> it was like our first depressed superhero. <laughs> yeah. Some representation I was looking for. The one thing I did like is at the end when the Riddler and him are finally get that face to face. I feel like they're more in common than the Riddler is portraying Batman to be because he's dealing with all like he, he is alone pretty much all the time. And he's I feel like he they can relate to each other more than the Riddler can really portray that he's just like this guy, super billionaire guy, has no issues with his life, but really they're more in common than he really thinks. That's how I like how they ended it like that. Yeah, we, I love that scene between the two of them, and we, we spoke a little bit on it earlier, but this is a question that we brought up earlier. Did you think, because there was, he brings up Bruce Wayne in that conversation, right? Like, and Gardner posed the question because they left it a little ambiguous. Do you think that he knows that it's Bruce Wayne? Yeah, I think so. I think he's connected to dots. Thank you. So there you go. Okay. Cause I, I read that as like, as almost, cause then he's, it's almost like he's teasing him where he's like saying, he knows what he's doing when he says Bruce Wayne, he's teasing him and being like, Oh, Bruce Wayne. And then like, he, he like changed it. So then Batman thinks, Oh, maybe he doesn't know that I'm Bruce Wayne. Um, I thought it was a great, a great moment in the garden. Obviously you brought that ambiguity up. Yeah, I think you can read it either way. I think you can read it as he does know and then he like plays dumb. But like you were saying, Duncan, like he brings up the whole thing where he's like, Batman, you and I are in cahoots together. Like we're working together. And then Bruce Wayne, oh, he's the one that got away. Like we almost got him. Like I hate the Waynes. Like I think if he, and it's it's ambiguous, right? So you can read it either way. But I read it as like, if he did know that Batman was Bruce Wayne, it would have played out differently. He would have gone for Batman more directly. He wouldn't have tried to work with Batman because he does try to kill Bruce Wayne in the movie. So so that's interesting. Yeah. I read that as he was intentionally, because they say in the movie that it was intended for Bruce Wayne and that Alfred opened the package. I kind of thought that he knew Alfred would open it and was sending it to Alfred and was trying to hurt Bruce like that way. That's what I was thinking, Duncan. I think the Riddler knew that he was never going to get Bruce Wayne with that package. He was just going to hurt someone close to him like Alfred. That's what I was thinking. I think he knew it all in the end that it was just something that he would just get inside of him, get inside his head. I We didn't talk about this, but I was real conflicted by uh, Alfred opening the note. Like he's breaking the cipher 15 minutes ago. And then it's like, oh, what's this? Who's this from? And it's like, obviously it's the Riddler. Why would you open that? I'll give you that. He know He should know better. He should definitely know better at this point. Totally. <laughs> I will definitely give you that, Taran. I definitely think that he should know better. 
Or at least recognize the handwriting. The handwriting, for sure. Yeah. A lot of effort went into that handwriting, also. That's near calligraphy with the precision and everything. You know, he, he put some time into those letters. I love that kind of stuff. I'm a big uh, font guy. So that's a nice font, even though it's like obviously like hectic and all over the place. But like you said, it definitely wasn't something you could just write, you know, quickly. It was, you had to scribble it out. It's like the hand drawn magazine cutouts. So, Nick, we did want to ask where your batman i don't want to say love batman knowledge started i guess when did you like was it the nolan films did you watch any of the films before that where did you come into batman i would say i watched cartoons as a kid but never like really grasped it it was kind of just on but i would say my batman knowledge started when like we when we first saw the dark knight probably when was that 12 13 years ago already so that was probably my first introduction to Batman. And so going off that, where would you rank this movie amongst the Batman movies? And don't get into your actual score yet, because we're going to save that for the end. But if you were thinking like, I mean, obviously everyone, we've talked about how The Dark Knight is this lauded film and everyone loves it and or a lot of people love it. Where are you ranking it amongst other Batman movies? This one, The Batman. This one, it would it would be third out of The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. But I think it's you're grading those other two on a different scale because of how I thought how good they were. This one is third, but it's it was a really, really good movie, in my opinion. Awesome. And then we talked about how it's this movie that you can tell has its own vision, I feel like, and or we all feel like, or at least me and Gardner felt like I don't know, I don't remember if Tarn was agreeing on that point, but it's got a vision. Right, okay. So it's got it's like a director's vision where it's doesn't look like every other movie. It doesn't look like every other superhero movie. Very similar to the way the Nolan movies were. And that's why a lot of people love the Nolan movies because they had this unique take and this unique look and this just different way of telling the story. So did you find that to be something you noticed during it that you thought it was like different in any way, like from other comic book movies? Yeah. Yeah. Just the way it played out, you could definitely, it felt different than any other, the two other Batmans I've watched and any other super superhero movies I watched or anything like that. You, there was definitely a different a different feel to this one. Yeah, I agree. And we, we also mentioned before that Batman is kind of fertile for that, for directors to get the chance to do fun things and new things and take their own spin on it. So I think it's interesting that you also kind of feel that way in watching it, that, you know, they were given that opportunity. Yeah. I love the Gotham. I, lo- I love the portrayal of Gotham in this movie. It's super dark. Yeah. It's always raining. It's a big, sprawling city. There's a couple of moments where we see the skyline and I'm like, damn, this place is fucking huge. And you feel that because sometimes when I'm watching the Batman stories, I'm like, damn, it's just everything only happened in Gotham. Like, is there not like a whole other world out there where shit is going on? Like this city is so big. It's like its own country. People are paying attention to local politics and stuff. (laughs) Kind of unrealistic. But in this, it works because you see the scale of the city. And I just, I thought it it played into like the world building really, really well. So Tarn and Gardner, do you have any questions that you want to bring up to Nick? Anything that we touched on earlier that maybe you want to hear his viewpoint on? Yeah, I'm curious. What did you think about the relationship between uh, Batman and Catwoman and how that developed in this film? I told Duncan when they first went to the park, I'm like, they are not very subtle about her being the Catwoman thing. When You walk in and there's seven cats sitting on the on her couch, whatever. I like their dynamic. I think it was different than previous movies where they're not like kind of like this crazy couple or something. And they're not always kind of working in sync with each other because uh, this portrait of Catwoman's more of a wild card, I'd say. 
because Batman really doesn't really know what she's going to do at a given time. So that's, I like that he's keeping, she's keeping him on edge pretty much. And uh, now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of like that they went their own separate ways at the end of the movie and not where they'd usually go off together and do the next thing together. They kind of just went off and started their own lives. That's what I liked about this one for the Catwoman in this movie. I feel bad putting you on the spot with another question, but Duncan's kind of grabbing me. So we talked a little bit about his detective work. And obviously he's kind of a novice in being Batman in terms of like how he navigates the city, kind of crashing. But like, where did you land on his being a detective? Do you feel like he's an asset to the cops or is he creating, making the issues worse? It depends because he has the more technology and he doesn't have the rules to go by that they do so he can find out things a lot easier than they can. But I do feel like that he got in the way sometimes when they're just trying to do their job and he thinks he's Batman, he could do it a lot better than they can. And he, like you said, he's still a novice, so he's still just learning how to become this detective and this superhero. So I think it goes both ways. But I would lean more that he's more helpful than not. It's just a matter of the way he goes about it is more destructive and causes a lot more chaos than I think they'd like. Did you like that element of the movie? For me, that was a huge boon to the film, is that it's basically just a detective movie first and a superhero story second. Yeah. To me, that's what like makes this movie special. Yeah, I did. I thought that was actually really interesting. It's sort of, like, again, like you guys have been saying, it's just like, a, I don't want to say a totally different Batman, but just like a new way of we look at Batman. So it was kind of cool to see go through his process and then become the eventual superhero at the end. It's interesting that you mentioned that, like, is he getting in the way or is he helping them? And I do agree with you, Nick, where I think that he is, in the end of the day, helping more than hurting the police force. But I think it almost would be interesting to see kind of a Poe Dameron, The Last Jedi situation, where he thinks he knows better than the cops, and he tries to do something like he, like, him and Jim Gordon even maybe are doing something on the side, and it, like, turns out they fuck up, like, a whole, like, operation because they decided to work outside the law. I think that would actually be kind of interesting. But isn't that how most Batman movies are? Half the people think he's doing a good job, half the people think he's getting in the way. But yeah, I would like the, that. Is true. He just goes totally rogue and something goes horrible and you have to... That's just another movie where you have to see how he has to figure that one out. That would be a good one. That would be a great arc for him because his arc in this movie is right is going from... It's very explicitly said in the narration going from vengeance to hope. I would like to see his arc in a future film be about you know operating solo and thinking that he knows best versus working together with other people because even though he does kind of work with Catwoman in this movie like you said Nick she has her own motives and he has his own motives and they are kind of on they have a common goal but they're on different trajectories Mm -hmm. I'd like to see this Batman learn how to work with other people and I think it's interesting not only for the Batman to work with other people but for the police force to work with him like I think it's interesting when or not interesting but it's kind of a fuck yeah moment when you get the police to finally be finally to finally be like, yeah, we're gonna work with Batman and Jim's right and we should be working cahoots with him and not kind of fighting each other. I like that moment whenever you get to see it where it's kind of like not only is Batman working with the team, but the team is like, yeah, we'll take this freak on our side too. So finally, unless you have any other big points that you want to mention about the Batman. Just going on this police thing, I feel like they're like half in and half out because they have the bat signal, like whenever they'll need him, they'll shine the thing, but then he gets in the way 
And then now it's a big problem that he's there. So I feel like they're kind of just dipping their toes in both. We need him. Plus he just gets in the way. So I don't know. I, I, like I said, that's just every Batman ever, but it's just, they, I feel like they need to pick a lane. It is. It's a, it's a classic Batman conflict. And we did mention before you got on here about how this movie does, while it does new things like Gardner says and what like he likes about it, it also is doing the Batman things. Like it's doing stuff like that. Like that's a classic conflict in Batman. And so is like the, like you mentioned, Nick, like the, the back and forth between Batman where they're working together. They're not working together. They have different goals. Like, do they end up together? Like, obviously, we see in The Dark Knight Rises, I mentioned, that they do end up together. And that's what you were referencing, Nick. But, like, in this one, they go their own separate paths. And that is, that's the Batman and Catwoman story right there. That's what they do together. They have those kind of interactions. And, like, obviously, like, sometimes it ends up with them together. Sometimes it doesn't. But it does have that same core element to it. And I think that this movie was very true to the core elements of Batman and the people surrounding Batman. Mm-hmm, definitely. Sequel pitch movie called like gordon and the batman where gordon is the main character and batman is just like a kind of ally but like a force that he has to kind of like deal with while also operating within the police department to get something done i would love to see that perspective of batman as kind of a nuisance from the perspective of the police warner brothers where you at hire me yeah as as uh robert pattinson turns into hope and he wants to you know be helpful and it's like yo like leave me the fuck alone i didn't i didn't shine the light exactly so here on gdt we like to give a rating of the film so we're gonna ask that you give us your rating of the film nick the scale is out of 100 and it's bring your own unit so you use a unit that's associated with the film an example might be for anchorman you could do 90 barks if you're in milwaukee out of 100 I would give it 84 penguins because I love the penguin in this movie. I thought they played him really well. So I'll give it 84 penguins. Perfect. Beautiful. I think that's a, a very fair score. And I'm, uh, I'm glad you liked it, dude. And I'm, I'm glad we mentioned it before you got on, but I'm glad that the three hours didn't end up being a dragging three hours for you. And like you said, that the pace worked for you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It was really good. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. Tarn, do you want to spoil your uh, score for Nick so that he can hear exactly what you thought about it? I think that might be a little shock. I'm I'm impressed that uh, I feel like we have similar taste in movie or at least viewing habits. I gave it a, a 28. I was not a fan of this movie. Jeez. I had pacing issues, but I also not a huge Batman guy. <laughs> I like it. Tarin likes his Wolverines, his Deadpool's, his uh, regenerative guys. Yeah, the ones with abilities. <laughs> I have come around a little bit with the talk of playing with the themes of Batman, like the core themes. You know, the core theme isn't that he's a playboy; it's that he's like rich and has tenuous relations with the people around him my eyes are opened a little bit <laughs> and real quick before we look, we do get you out of here nick where would you rank batman i know you're not the biggest superhero guy i don't think you see all the superhero films but like where would you rank him in terms of like spider-man batman all the big guys like where are you interested in them like is he your your superhero you would say or is there other guys that you're more interested in no, I was definitely a Spider-Man kid growing up. Yeah. So Spider-Man is probably my favorite. The always thing that I, with Batman is, like he just said, he's not like a superhero superhero. He's just really rich with a lot of cool gadgets. So I, I like, I always like the actual superhero superheroes. And he can fight like a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. And the gadgets are important, dude. The gadgets are fun, dude. That's That was a big part of why I love this movie was I thought the gadgets were great in this movie. Yeah. Like, we talked about it too. He got shot lot of times and not a lot happened when he got shot and it was very close for the bullets were hitting him so yeah 
I'd say Spider-Man was probably my favorite growing up. I would say Batman's like a mid-level superhero for me. Like, yeah, again, like I'm not the biggest superhero guy, but he's definitely not a low-ranking guy. But that is cool that like, even though he's not your favorite, you still did come to this movie and appreciated it and, and, and liked it because I think that's that tells you, I think, in my opinion, that it's a little bit better. Like, it was always going to be a good movie to me. I was never gonna, yeah. you know what I mean? But so for it to also leave an impact on you, I think that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Awesome. So Nick, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for giving us your thoughts on it and your rating on it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Need to get you on for a full, a full one, man. Sure, yeah. Rack your brain for some of your favorite movies, dude. I'm down. Let me know. All right, awesome. So that's we have it in, in verbal writing now that Nick, Nick is down for a future episode. Listeners, stay tuned for that because it'll be fun. Maybe we'll let him pick his own movie so that he can uh, bring something that he really enjoys to us and uh, and we can discuss it. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'd love that. That does wrap up this week's episode. Thank you again, Nick, for stopping by. Thanks for having me. And thank you to our listeners as well. We appreciate you guys and please keep the love coming. As always, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at GoodDataPod and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're listening now, you already know where to find us, but you can always find us by searching the letters G, D, T, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And please, leave a five-star review as well. In the meantime, check out our regular full-length episodes releasing every Friday, and our bonus minisodes releasing every Wednesday. Our Friday episodes usually have a guest, and oftentimes we interview independent filmmakers. On our last full episode, we discussed No Sudden Move, and on our previous minisode, we did a recap of season one of Peacemaker. Those episodes released last week, so check them out if you missed them. And be sure to check out our full library, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to tune in later this week for our episode on The Green Knight. That releases on Friday, so be sure to watch it for our episode. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening, folks. Keep sending that love our way like a freshly pressed battering. We love you. He didn't even throw the battery. I'm Batman. Cinema Recall is available everywhere you find great podcasts. The hell was that? It's our voice promo guy. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram under Cinema Recall Podcast and on Twitter at Cinema underscore Recall. Vern, can we afford to have a voiceover guy? We can't afford not to. He used to be a voice guy for movie trailers, but now he just follows me around and gives me movie trailer narration. That's really sad. What? Now we're giving him purpose in life. He now has a reason to go on. Check out past episodes at cinemarecall.net. Promise it's fun! Yeah.